0: that we're going to read uh, in a moment uh, and uh, we're supposed to be working forward. We'll have to see how that works out uh, in in a few minutes time. Uh, Let me uh, read Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through to 20. Uh, This passage follows on obviously from chapter 4. David Bryce has been taking us through chapter 4 where Paul begins to apply the theology that he's been talking about in chapters 1 to 3. Chapters 1 to 3 is uh, how you got to be who you are, why you are who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are, now, this is what it looks like on the street. That's what the, the second three cha- chapters are, the, uh, are about. And we're continuing that theme. The passage in chapter 5 from verses 1 to 20 divides very nicely into three parts, out of which you could probably preach about 20 sermons, uh, so you could. Uh, So I'm starting in a minute or two on the very last passage, and we'll see where we go from there. But let's read them all for the context. So uh, Paul uh, continues uh, at verse 1. or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then. How you live. Not as unwise, but as wise In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Here is a question which won't help you any. What is a paradox? Well, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up and give me the answer because I'm not a school teacher. Uh, Nor is this going to be a lesson in English grammar. But you need to ask yourself... What is a paradox? The answer is, from a dictionary, it is a situation or statement which seems impossible or at least very difficult because it contains two opposite facts or characteristics. If you go into a dictionary, you go to, if you Google it, they'll give you some examples of a paradox, what appear to be a paradox. The beginning of the end. How can it be the end and the beginning at the same time? Less is more. How can less be more? Fighting fire with fire. How can you fight fire with fire? You could talk about the warm fellowship in Ravenhill, even though you're all freezing. That's a paradox. When we get to Ephesians chapter 5, we find Paul presenting our life in Christ as a paradox. There are two seemingly impossible situations. They're contained within verses 15 to 20 in our passage. Uh, I've put a title, uh, yes it's on on the screen, War and peace. This has nothing to do with remembrance. It just so happened that this fits in with this morning. That's a street in Ephesus. That's the condition of Ephesus now in the 21st uh, century. War and peace. That's the street that people like Paul and the early Christians would have been walking down representing the Lord Jesus Christ. War and peace. He uses it in these verses from 15 to 20, to tell us something about what it's like to be a believer, what it's like to be someone who follows Jesus. I don't they use the word follow in verse 1, follow God's example. I don't think it's strong enough. Other versions use the word imitate. It's a better word, I think, imitates. So Paul is saying, this is what it is like to imitate the God who has saved you by his grace through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I was saying, I'm starting at the end of the passage. Currently, we may never get to the beginning of the passage. But here's what I want to say to you. There are three things I was going to share with you. The first is this, that when Paul is writing here, he is saying to us, there is something to reveal that's the very first point, the first heading. There is something to reveal. This is a letter about why and how sinful people have become the church. Because it's a letter about the church. All this is written to the church. This is not written to unbelievers. This is written to those who, who, who know the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a letter which is saying what you guys need to look like when you're out there on the street in Ephesus. And consequently you and I have to look like whenever we are on the streets of Belfast or wherever we spend our week. A body of people whom Paul now presents as a paradox. Firstly, he says, uh, take it out of verse 16, the days are evil. This is the first part, the first truth within this paradox. The days are evil. What does Paul mean by that? You can't get it just out of that line. But I think he means maybe one of two things. First of all, the state of the world we live in. Utterly given over to antichrist activities. Read, well, we're not going to do it again. If you read verses three to seven, you will see a description. It could come out of any Sunday paper. In fact, it could come out of any paper in this day and age. You are given a description of the mentality of society. And it's it's, it's worse now than we've ever known it before, but it's probably very much as it was when Paul was writing his letters. Verses 3 through to 7 are a description of the polluted air that you and I who are Christians breathe every day. We don't breathe it into our lungs, we breathe it into our minds, and we breathe it, in, breathe it into our very souls. And it is difficult to fight it off. It is difficult not to simply bend and say, right, that's okay. I can go with that. Very, very difficult very difficult. And like everything we breathe, whether it's into our lungs or whether it's into our minds, it affects us. There's a lot of talking about things like passive smoking, how bad it is for you. Not so much talk about passive sinfulness or passive immorality, which we breathe in quite naturally every time we turn practically the television on. So that is why Paul is saying to these believers who are saved by grace through faith. Chapter 2, quite a while ago. That is why Paul is saying to these believers, Now, following all of this, you need to be very careful how you live. And the thing that Paul says you and I are to reveal, that's why the first heading is something to reveal, is the wisdom. He says they're not as unwise, but as wise. Now, what is he talking about? Is he talking about some ability you and I have? And there are people who are wiser than others, and they seem to have that ability. Is that what what Paul is talking about? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. He can only be, in this context, talking about the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. You are people who, down in uh, verse 10, he says, you're going to find out what pleases the Lord. And when you have found out what pleases the Lord, and you will only do that if you're reading his word, then you are acquiring the wisdom of God. And you can apply that to your life and to other lives, uh, to your context, and, and apply it to the news that you hear. Uh, on, on the television so it's the state of the world that we live in but the other aspect of it is it's actually it's tied in with the same thing but it's the bit you can't see the spiritual warfare in which believers are engaged the spiritual warfare We will get to the serious definition of warfare when you get into chapter 6. I'm not sure when that's going to be. You get to the armor of God. Paul pulls back the curtains on the spiritual uh, uh, hinterland, as it were, behind us that we can't actually see. He pulls the curtains back and he will tell the Ephesian believers, he tells us, you're not struggling against flesh and blood." struggling against something far more influential and powerful than a mere human being the weapons in this war are not rockets that are flying back and forward between Israel and Gaza they are the fairy darts the wicked arrows of the evil one hence the days are evil he says in those verses I think that Paul has it, has it in mind even as he, he's moving towards, he didn't have a chapter 6, there were no chapters in the original, but he was moving towards his conclusion in chapter 6. He's already thinking about the struggle, the spiritual struggle. He has it in mind right here and he's going to move on in Ephesians 5 to some of the main areas of conflict in which the spiritual war rages. We tend to think that it's at a very high level. It'll be all to do with homosexuality and abortion and all the rest of it. And it is there, absolutely. But he doesn't move on to things like that. In the next passage, he will move on to the marriage relationship. He will move on To the biblical uh, principle of family. He will move on to the workplace because this is where the struggle will go on. And if the evil one can destroy relationships, if he can destroy family, then he will negate God's creation. He will negate Christian living. He will spoil The Christian family and the Christian principle of family, the Christian theology of family, and it's falling apart, brethren, all around us. All around us. And yet the powers that be in our nation, they just seem to accept this as the way things are. It's in the thick of this warfare The environment that we breathe in, the spiritual struggle that we're involved in, it's in the thick of this warfare that the church has something to reveal. It is the wisdom of God. Where do we see the wisdom of God, folks? We see it in the gospel. We see it in the gospel. But, of course, that's going to be tough, isn't it? Because the society that you and I live in doesn't see it that way. It sees it as a a nonsense. It has left all that religious stuff behind and moved on. I mean, the the honest truth is that there will be services of remembrance. And please don't be offended. All over the nation today and the Bible will be read and that is good. And prayers will be said and that is good. But actually many of the people who attend or look in and hear, it's just a nice tradition. And that there is sin to be forgiven. Uh, God who is a judge to be faced. A saviour who has died on the cross. Doesn't mean a thing. They've left all that stuff behind. Because says Paul when he was writing to the uh, uh, Corinthians. uh, The people of the world are Perishing. Perishing. They see the message of the cross as foolishness. But that foolishness, Paul says, that's the wisdom of God. That is the wisdom of God. So you and I, when we're walking down the streets, walking down the Raven Hill Road, whatever road you walk down in the course of a week, the wisdom that you are to personify is not being a great person, and I've got the answer to everything. It is the sharing of the gospel, and applying the gospel to daily life. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying that's what Paul is talking about here in this this passage. They are to be careful how they live, always remembering, still writing to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. To save those who would believe do you know that this morning if you are saved I hope you are that you were saved through the foolishness what appears to the world as sheer stupidity it's that thing that you and I get so easily embarrassed about it's all right when we do it in here you know got a captive audience but but do you do it elsewhere the foolishness of preaching To save those who would believe. That's the wisdom of God. And I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about because that's what he always talked about. That's what he always talked about. Now here's the paradox. We're never going to get to those first two points. The paradox is this. That that was the war picture. You see? It's in verses 15 through to, say, 18a. That's the war picture. That's one of the truths which has been revealed here. You move on to 18b and through to verse 20, and then comes the peace picture. The opposite of the spiritual warfare is that the people of God are at peace. Now, I have to say, it's not always obvious. It's not always obvious. But what they are is they are at peace with God. At peace with God. There is now, therefore, no condemnation upon those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's not even in my notes. It just came to me there a minute ago. You're sitting here this morning. Terrified as a Christian or meeting God in case you have done something wrong which he didn't like. He will have done things he didn't like. It's not that it doesn't matter, but when you get to, to, to the day, the day of the Lord, when you get to the day of the Lord, you'll be at peace with him. You won't have a red face. You won't be embarrassed because your account has been washed clean. Nothing to be embarrassed about. This is the paradox. The people of God are at peace with God. They are filled. Or at least they have the Spirit of God living in them. That's how they became Christians. He's not out there somewhere. He's in here. He used to be out there somewhere in the Old Testament. We don't live in the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. And he lives in side of God's holy people filled with the spirit that's to be our desire I'm not talking about speaking in tongues or any of that stuff we're simply talking about following God's word because that's how the spirit speaks to us and what does Paul say about this peaceful scene speaking to one another with psalms hymns and songs from the spirit well we know what psalms are we know what hymns are we're really not sure what spiritual songs are They're everything else. Everything else. Making music from their hearts to the Lord. Here we are. We're in the thick of war. There aren't too many soldiers, Israeli or otherwise, in the Middle East at the minute, singing their hearts out in the middle of that conflict. But here we are. Here is the paradox. God's people, in the middle of the spiritual war, the days are evil, and they're singing their hearts out like Paul did when he was in prison in Philippi. Isn't that amazing? That's us in the thick of the warfare, giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Seemingly impossible partners. How do you do this? Well, you don't try to fuse them into some big mushy lump. Because they're not to be fused they are two aspects of being a this is we we live brethren we live if we are Christians in this tension and it will be there until Christ shall come again and there'll be no more need for the tension sometimes in our evangelical churches we go one way or the other and we're very proud of whichever way we go Either we are all warfare and the result is an unloving gospel and a joyless church life or we're all peace and harmony, singing our hearts out, but our gospel does not warn of danger. It has no cutting edge. And when we go out from our Sunday gatherings, we go into the struggle, we go into the warfare, uh, uh, and we get overcome when we have to face The rockets from the evil one. And we miss out on the advance of the gospel because the advance of the gospel happens through the warfare. Happens through the warfare. We need to hold these in tension so that we are ready for war. It's not a popular view today. So sad. And that's why I think in many ways the church has become quite weak. We we hold them in tension so that we are ready for war, but with complete peace, confidence, serenity, thanksgiving. Paul's majorly into giving thanks wherever he happens to be because we know who we are. Because we have read And listened to the Spirit speaking to us through Ephesians chapters 1 to 3. Telling us exactly what has happened and who we are. And that ought to encourage us. How do we hold this war and peace together? We're not going to go there this morning. There are two things left in this passage in the first and second sections. I'm just going to mention what they are, and with that, we will, uh, we will finish. And the first is this uh, Paul says there's something you have to remember. You have to remember that you're a child of God. We've hinted at this already. You're a child of God. And as a child of God, what will you do? You'll do what every child does, you will imitate your father. Uh, I'll share this with you just and then move on to the final. But uh, uh, some of you know our, our family from Peru were here during the summer. Uh, my youngest grandchild, I'm hoping I have got that right, and she is the youngest one. Uh, uh, one day I was, I was <laughs> uh, drinking something. I don't know what it was. And I have this terrible habit when I take a drink of tea or coffee. I go, <sighs> So Amy saw me do this. And two minutes later, she was drinking out of her little bobo. And she was going, <sighs> And two months later, two months later, there was a WhatsApp video came just to to let us see that she hasn't forgotten. She was drinking, going, (sighs) in the jungle. Uh, My eldest grandson, uh, sadly, uh, again, some of you know, his daddy died uh, four years ago. But while Thomas is there, Daddy John will never be gone. He is, as much as I have ever seen, the 100% carbon copy of his daddy last bit of illustration i had there was when i was young my father i like i'm not i'm not offering my services but i I enjoy decorating i particularly enjoy wallpapering Uh, and i used to watch i helped my father do it he was brilliant he was a great handyman i helped my father do it and i learned everything i knew by just simply watching him But one of the things he did was he smoked. So after he put a a sheet of wallpaper up, he would stand back and light a cigarette and stand and look at it. Now, I don't smoke, but if I'm wallpapering, I kind of put a sheet up, maybe two sheets up, and I stand back and have a cup of coffee. Uh, To the extent that when we were younger, at least, uh, whenever Janet's mother was alive, when I was decorating, Janet went to her mother's because she couldn't cope with me standing back and admiring uh, the two sheets that I had just put up. But that, you, you get what I mean, imitation. I, 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 and it happens, you know, you, don't, you, you do it deliberately, but you don't have to do it deliberately. It will happen anyway. If you're close to the Father, if you're close to Jesus, you will imitate. You, you'll not be able to help it, it'll just happen. And, and uh, Paul says that, you're to imitate the Father, and how, how, how do you do that? It's the Father's love's the key thing. That's, that's how you're going to hold those two things in tension. And that's how you're going to reveal God's wisdom to the world. Love, it's not slobby love. I don't know what the current romantic books are. It used to be Mills and Boone. I used to mention it all the time, but I'm sure that's gone a long time ago. It's not Mills and Boone kind of love. The definition is there. It's sacrificial love. It's actually dying for your friends. That's the kind of love which will show the wisdom, reveal the wisdom of God. Lastly, is about the light. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Let me just say this about the light. Uh, this is uh, uh, something to, uh, I don't know what my title was, I've lost them. Put, turn on the next slider and I'll see it up on the wall. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's about the last passage from verse 8 to to 14, this is something to become, that's it, take take that title away with you, because you are light, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you are light, You, you don't reflect the light, that's the wrong illustration, you're not the moon, and Jesus is the sun, That's the wrong illustration, because the Spirit of God has come to live in your life. What you read there is, for once you were darkness, and you were utter darkness, darkness that nothing human could ever cure. Only when God stepped in by his grace and through faith were were you saved with the blood of Jesus Christ. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came into your life, and you are light in the world. You're not reflecting light in the world. You are light. You are a power source. The light emanates from you because the Spirit of God lives in your life if you're a Christian. And there's a tension in there as well because you and I kind of smother it a little bit, don't we? And that's why finally we have to say, Paul says, you have to become. You have to become what you are, as it were. You have to become light out on the street. Where you work, in the family, in church, and it's very important to be light in church, because there are people in church who are out in the darkness all week. They don't need more darkness on Sunday. They need, they need light. They need those people. I think. That's uh, why we have coffee after church, why we have discipleship groups, uh, that's why we have church family lunches, so that we can share the light, share the light, and be God's children together.